Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. Ever since the uh, state of Minnesota Highway Department uh, changed Highway 10 going through Glendon, I've found that I need to make a U-turn about every day of my life. <laughs> Since there's now no crossing Highway 10 straight north of the church, uh, in order for me to go home, after being here, I, I have to go east in order to go west. Uh, I know some of you live east of town, and, and so you don't have to do that U-turn to go home today, but I bet that in another way, you too uh, need a U-turn uh, regularly in your life. In some respects, you see, that is what repentance is. It's a U-turn. It's recognizing that I'm going the wrong way and turning around to go the other way. It's recognizing thoughts and actions in my life that are going the wrong way and making me or taking me away from trusting in God and his word and then admitting those things and turning and looking to him and with his help turning around them and drawing toward him instead of away from him. Repentance involves a, a change of our heart and our mind and our life. And during Lent, we've been looking in Scripture, in both the Old and the New Testaments, and asking this question over and over again, then, who needs repentance? And the answer so far has been, everyone needs repentance. And we're going to see that again today, with one lone exception as we meet one rare person who never needed repentance. We're looking in Matthew chapter 3 and 4, and this is kind of part 2 to what Pastor Ryan shared last Sunday, as we look at John the Baptist uh, uh, preaching to crowds of people out in the wilderness of Judea. I invite you to look with me at that passage in Matthew chapter 3 to begin with, and, and please stand in reverence to God's word. Beginning with verse 11 there. As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance, John the Baptist said, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I'm not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor, and he will gather his wheat into the barn, but it'll burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answering said to him, Permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he permitted him. And after being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting upon him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry, and the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. I'm not going to read through all of the uh, three temptations that um, the devil brought to Jesus at this time, but if you go a little further down to verse 11, then we pick it up there. 
Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. And now when Jesus heard that John had been taken into custody, he withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet, the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who were, were sitting in darkness saw a great light. Those who were sitting in the land in shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. And from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Let us pray. Lord God, we just thank you for this, your word to us. And, and we pray that as we've been focusing on this theme of who needs repentance and reminded over and over again of people who do, that uh, you would remind each of us here today concerning that as well and, and point us to the hope that we have in Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Please be seated. For you that are visiting, you may or may not have noticed, there's an outline for what I share from God's Word today found in your bullet, and you're welcome to follow along if that's helpful. First of all, I noticed this, that John the Baptist preached to people who needed repentance. People were coming to him from all over the place, and Pastor Ryan referred to this as he shared last week, and they were coming from Jerusalem and the surrounding area of Judea, and even from the district around the Jordan River there, and that involved them coming from several miles away to hear him. And that reflected something, and that was that there was a real spiritual hunger among people there, as it had been about 400 years of silence in which God's prophets had not spoken. And John's message resonated with the people, and he called them to repent. That is, to turn from their various sins and to look to God. And those people then needed a U-turn in their lives. And we see some examples of who those people were as we look in Matthew chapter 3 and also in, in Luke chapter 3. It tells us of this. Um, and there were the multitudes who prided themselves in their religious ancestry and who neglected helping the poor around them. And they were, you would say, then breaking the second table of the law. The last seven of the commandments um, have to do with how we treat our neighbor. And they did not really love their neighbor as themselves. There were the soldiers that he addressed in, in Luke chapter 3 who, who took things from people by force. They were breaking the seventh commandment, thou shalt not steal. They also would sometimes give false testimony concerning the people that they dealt with. And so then they would be breaking the eighth commandment, thou shalt not bear false witness. And, and they were also grumbling about their wages and, and thus breaking the ninth commandment, thou shalt not covet. And John the Baptist then told them to no longer take things by force and to quit giving false testimony and to quit grumbling about their wages. And then there were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Um, they were the very self-righteous um, religious leaders. And they were breaking the first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. They did not really love God at all. They loved themselves. And John told them to repent and to turn from their self-righteousness and admit their heart condition. And they, they had been believing really a lie of Satan, that, that their social status and their ancestry would, would keep them from the judgment of God. Is it possible that any of those examples fit you or I? That we have not loved God above all things, or our neighbor as ourselves? that we have maybe in some way stolen or given false testimony about someone or coveted what others have, 
then we too have ended up believing lies of the devil who tells us that satisfaction in this life comes from living for ourselves above all things. And we need to repent and to turn back to God and to his truth. Well, not only the people that John preached to needed repentance, but John himself needed repentance. And we see that here as, as he realized his extreme unworthiness to even be like a servant that would remove the sandal um, from a certain person who would be following him. And when that person came to him for baptism, John told him, I have need to be baptized by you, and you come to me. Well, just who was this person? Remember now, John had confronted all kinds of people before, and he told all of them they needed to repent. He even told King Herod that he needed to do so. But he did not tell this person he needed to repent. Instead, he indicated his own need for repentance, his own need for a U-turn in his life, um, his own need for forgiveness of sin. Well, just who was this person who didn't need repentance? It's interesting to me, he happened to be his second cousin. And he was named Jesus. And John held this person, Jesus, up above anybody else ever. And now, you know, I have some great cousins. And I could tell you about some of them, but I won't today. But, but I can honestly say that none of them can I ever say that they are better than everybody else in the whole world. Like John said here about Jesus. John spoke of Jesus as one who was above all others and who would judge those that refused to repent. He speaks of Jesus as having like a winnowing fork for separating wheat and chaff, and him then gathering the wheat and then burning up the chaff with an unquenchable fire. And that description, that farming illustration there, describes how Jesus separates people really into two categories. Those who admit their sins and repent of them and are spared, and those who don't face their sins and repent, and who will then face the judgment of God. It's one or the other. And Jesus will determine which it is based on what people do with his message. And that should really give us all pause to ask ourselves then, which one am I? Wheat? Or chaff? Am I repentant of my sins and, and thus the spared wheat? Or am I the unrepentant chaff awaiting the fire? We're going to come back to that. But we need to consider first this question. Why didn't Jesus himself need repentance? Well, one thing I notice is this, that John the Baptist said he didn't. Uh, the one... Coming after me is mightier than I, he said. I'm not even worthy to remove his sandal. And to Jesus himself, he said, I have need to be baptized by you. He clearly held Jesus up as better than himself. But it's also what John didn't say that affirmed Jesus being different from the rest. He didn't call Jesus to repent like everyone else. Why didn't Jesus need repentance? Well, Jesus never broke any of the commandments. He didn't ever steal or lie or covet or have other gods before his heavenly father. He actually loved God above all things and his neighbor as himself. And he, and he kept both tables of the law perfectly then and obeyed all ten of the commandments. He also never gave in then to temptations. And thus he had nothing for which he needed to repent. In chapter 4, when you look there, 
uh, we have this account of, of Jesus out there in the wilderness being tempted by the devil, and the devil tempted Jesus in the areas of his natural physical desire for food, and tempted him with a shortcut to power, and, and tempted him by appealing to his pride. And Jesus completely resisted each of those temptations. He never doubted God's word and believed the lies of the devil. He responded to each of the devil's temptations with statements from the scriptures, which he knew to be the written word of God. And, and so he responded by saying back to Satan then, it is written. And thus settling what is true from what is a lie. And he remembered and he believed that voice from the heavens at his baptism, which instead of saying that he needed to repent, said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And right there then at the baptism, we have this glimpse of the Godhead, the Holy Trinity, into which we baptized little Jane Lindahl today. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so right after Jesus' baptism and that voice from heaven affirming Jesus' identity as the Son of God, how did the devil start out his temptations of Jesus? He said, if you are the Son of God, then command these stones to become bread. And isn't that just like the devil at every turn trying to get us to distrust God's word right after the experiences that, that affirm our relationship with God and then bringing on some difficult circumstances to get us to doubt God and his word. But Jesus refused to doubt God's word. He, he didn't need to repent of his doubts. It's also interesting to me as we look on elsewhere in scripture we see this, that Jesus' disciples said that he didn't need to repent. Now, you would think that those that are living right close by him for those three years would have seen a few flaws, maybe a few displays of the sinful nature just kind of slipping out there, wouldn't they? All of the roommates and housemates and, and co-workers I have ever had have come to conclusions that I'm not perfect and have even at some point pointed that out to me um, and, and maybe even told some other people about it too. But not so concerning Jesus. What did the disciples say? John, the disciple that you might say was considered closest to Jesus, said this about him. You know that he appeared in order to take away sin, and in him there is no sin. Peter, one of the other of the inner circle of three close disciples, and one that's known, you might say, for saying things, saying whatever he thought, said this about Jesus, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit ever found in his mouth. And he, in another place, called Jesus a lamb, unblemished and spotless. And you know, even some of Jesus' enemies couldn't come up with things that he needed to repent of. That The chief priests were trying so hard to trap Jesus in some transgression of the law, and they couldn't come up with any accusation that would stick except to accuse him of blasphemy because he declared himself to be the Son of God. Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor before whom Jesus was brought by his accusers, said, What evil has this man done? I have found in him no guilt demanding of death. Even one of the thieves crucified there on the crosses next to Jesus said this, This man has done nothing wrong. We deserve to be here. 
And the Roman centurion um, overseeing the crucifixion said, as he watched Jesus die, surely this man was the Son of God. Furthermore, Jesus himself said and showed that he didn't need repentance. Even as he pointed out that everyone else did need it, for instance, to the to the accusers of that woman that was caught in adultery and they were ready to throw stones to kill her, he said this, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And they all put on their rocks and went home. In that same chapter, he asks those around him, who convicts me of anything? Yes, Jesus Christ was the most unique person ever to walk the face of this earth. He was the one and the only one who never needed to repent. And though he was a man in human flesh like you and I, yet he was also the sinless Son of God and thus uniquely qualified to help all the rest of us who are sinners. And John the Baptist pointed then to Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And as I mentioned before, then John the Baptist had spoken of Jesus um, as, as having like a winnowing fork that separates wheat from chaff and, and determines then the judgment of fire for all that refuse to face their sins. But John also described Jesus as the sacrificial lamb, whose blood would be shed to take away their sins and to spare them that judgment that they deserved. And Jesus himself declared in John chapter 5, Truly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment but is passed out of death and into life. And so you see, when, when we repent, it involves a U-turn. It involves a change of mind from pursuing things that we know to be wrong and excusing them to then admitting them to be wrong. It involves a change of heart and of will uh, and a willingness to humble ourselves and to seek help to change. And it involves a change of our life. As God changes in the mind and the heart, then the outward actions of life change uh, where we want to live for God and for other people. And it also involves then, a, a change even of our eternal destiny. As we no longer then need to fear the judgment of God that we rightly deserved, but instead we rest in the promise of eternal blessing in the presence of God, the very God that we used to rebel against. Jesus calls people to repentance and to faith in him while the kingdom of heaven is still at hand. John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus and, and uh, he preached then, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And when Jesus came on the scene, John faded out of the picture. And what was Jesus' message? We saw it there at the end here of what I read in, John, or in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, where it says that from that time, then Jesus began to preach and say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That message has an, has an urgency attached to it. When something is at hand, it's nearby. It's an opportunity waiting that might not be there later. Like, for instance, when you're at the airport, you know, and, and, and the plane is ready to board. It's at hand, okay? And they give the first call, and then the second call to board. But before long, they say, last call to board 
flight 247. And if you wait much longer, what happens? You miss the airplane. Jesus' invitation to repent of your sins and believe in him is an opportunity that's available now. But your and my circumstances in life change. And none of us know just how long we have here, and nor do we know if we will even hear that invitation later. And so the time is now. A time will come when it could be too late. But today is still a day of grace. A day where U-turns and forgiveness are still being offered. I love what John 1.12 tells us. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Jesus came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And that includes then all who will admit their need and will come to him. You know, we, we talked about three baptisms today. John's baptisms of people who needed repentance and needed a U-turn. And then there was John's baptism of Jesus who didn't need repentance, didn't need a U-turn. And in that baptism of Jesus, then um, he comes alongside of sinners and he identifies with them, but he's also declared to be above them. And then we had Jesus' baptism of Jane Lindahl today, who will need repentance. Her, her parents are admitting for her that she was born a sinner, born with original sin, and that she also will commit actual sins and, and need repentance. And her baptism today then is also a, a baptism of forgiveness and a filling of the Holy Spirit. As Pastor Ryan read earlier from Acts chapter 2 where Peter's words at Pentecost are repent and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? For the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then who is this promise for? It goes on to say it, this promise is for you and for your children and for, our, for all who are far away as many as the Lord will call to himself. Parents' job after the baptism is to teach our children about the God who is our creator and who is the lawgiver and then teach them God's laws and how we by nature want to go our own way and we need then daily forgiveness and that daily U-turn and then point them to Jesus, the one who in baptism washes away their sin. How about you today? Do you realize you need a U-turn in your life? You know, when the Holy Spirit points that out, we need to humble ourselves and confess our sins and look to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word today. Thank you, Lord, as we've been looking in Scripture in the Old Testament before and, and now in the New Testament, we've seen that message over and over that, that we each need to repent. But thank you today for showing us the one who didn't need repentance, the one who is above us all, who came and identified with us, but never, never gave in to temptation, never doubted you, never sinned. And we, and we thank you that he was willing to go to the cross for us, that, that he would be the sacrificial lamb that would shed his blood, it would incur your wrath on himself so that we would be forgiven and given eternal life. We thank you for that, Lord. And, and we, we ask that you'd work in each of our hearts, Lord, that, that we would recognize your Holy Spirit at work, pointing out 
when there are things that are not right in our lives. And Lord, that we would be quick to ask you for help for a a U-turn. Thank you that there's forgiveness of all sin in Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit comes to live within us and to help us and to guide us. And Lord, we pray that each one here today would know a personal living faith in Jesus, would recognize their need for repentance on a daily basis. Lord, help us that we would live in daily repentance and faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.